was the best of times. It sure was. It was the worst of times. It was the age of wisdom. It was the age of foolishness. It was the epoch of belief. It was the epoch of incredulity. It was a season of light. It was a season of darkness. It was the spring of hope. It was the winter of despair. We had everything before us. We had nothing before us. We were all going direct to heaven. We were all going direct the other way. This quote it's first lines from the novel, A Tale of Two Cities, written by Charles Dickens and published in 1859. And the lines here are referring to the year, as he says in the book, 1775, otherwise known as 1775, year before. I think something happened in America the year after that. I don't, I don't remember what it was. I went to public school. No, I'm kidding. I, I know, I know, I know. It's, it's good. We got like 14 public school teachers in here that are really upset right now. Don't be offended. Don't be offended. These, <laughs> these words can be loosely applied to a lot of periods in time, in history. I think there's a lot of people who would be like, yeah, that's our time. And then I'd be like, yeah, hold my beer. Uh, this is our time. This is a description of where we are here at the end of the age as we deal with what we're dealing with from so many fronts. Uh, I, I think these words tend to ring true for us when we look at where people are. And if you look at kind of how they, how they see themselves, you got people, everyone thinks they're right, and almost no one is. Uh, everyone is afraid, and there's not nearly enough things for them to be afraid of. And here we are as the church built on the rock, steadily through all that that the world is going through. Uh, myself, uh, I and the other pastors here at X Church went down to a conference in Southern California recently. Yes, it was warm. Yes, we did go to the beach. No, my legs are not ready for the beach. They are quite pale. Um, they asked me to leave. So I, I did that. Um, we heard from a pastor there who had some insights on the times we're living in. His name is uh, Dr. Larry Osborne. He said this. He said, we are in the final stage of a cultural, spiritual meltdown. The final stage of a cultural, spiritual meltdown. Now, what's interesting is Dr. Osborne does not connect this cultural, spiritual meltdown to things like sexual decadence or political infighting or all the kind of things that we seem to get real worked up about. That's not what he connects it to. He connects it to relational destruction the destruction of our relational life, of relationships. We do not have the same kinds of relationships that we used to. If you're very old, I'm very old. Some of you are really old. If I'm very old, I'm just saying, because I'm pretty young. My birthday's this week, actually. I turned 35. <laughs> that happened a long time ago. Uh, wow, you look great for 35. Uh-huh. Um, no. Uh, <laughs> Think about this for a second. Between the year 1775, which is the year that Charles Dickens is describing there at the beginning of Tale of Two Cities, and the year 1859, when it actually was published, the biggest innovation, okay, the biggest innovation in communication was the electric telegraph. Boop, 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 boop. That was like, woo! Okay? Biggest thing that happened in those 84 years 
84 years. That's how much communication changed. So relationally, people pretty much did what they always did. You want to talk to somebody? You've got to look at them in their eyes and talk to them, right? You have the option of writing a letter. I don't know how many, how many of you have written out, handwritten a letter and sent it? Average age, yeah, 84. So there you go, right? No, I've written letters. Some of you have written letters. I've written checks and sent them, you know, because people keep asking me for money. And, um, 84 years and not much changed. You could read a book. You could write a letter. You could talk face-to-face. And mostly what they did was they talked face-to-face. That's how they lived. That's how they lived. And in fact, that's how people lived for almost all of history. Not just that 84-year period that I'm talking about, but most of history. That's how they lived. Now, if you are today 84 years old, you were born 84 years ago, I want to give you a list just of some of the highlights of the technological changes that have happened during your life. Remember, they had one change, the electric telegraph, okay? Morse code that could go from one place to another. That came real close to the 1859 time. They didn't even have the American Pony Express for a couple years later, okay? The Pony Express, all right? I want to tell you what you've been through if you're 84 years old now. A bunch of these came from uh, a professor named Gary Gillespie at Northwest University. I'm going to just read this list. It doesn't include everything, but it includes a lot. Let's get ready. Here we go. Packet paperback books, black and white TV broadcasts, modern computers, LP records, transistor radios, color TV broadcasts, photocopiers, satellite communications, cassette tapes, local cable TV, Betamax VCRs, fax machines, the first personal computer, VHS VCRs. They won, by the way. They were the Blu-ray of that. Anyway, Apple II home computers, laser discs. Personal stereos, Walkmans, remember those? You know, you're doing your thing. Like 18 pounds, I'm gonna jog with this. Yeah, it was fun. Home laser printers, portable video recorders, CDs, fiber optics, camcorders, cellular phones, stereo TV, digital audio tapes, high definition TV, digital photography, CD-ROM, CDI, video phones, digital radio, the internet, high definition TV broadcasts, vast expansion of the internet, DVD players, high speed internet, DVD burners, MP3 data compression, PC tablets with handwriting to text, video email, personal video players, holographic 3D projection, MySpace, YouTube, iPhone, iPad, Apple Watch, Alexa, FaceTime, Android, Facebook, YouTube, WhatsApp, Facebook, Messenger, Instagram, WeChat, TikTok, Telegram, Snapchat, Pinterest, Reddit, virtual reality, and of course, the Axe Church app. Yeah. Things have changed. These people, hundreds of years and like, ooh, the printing press, which is amazing. And then like, oh, the electric telegraph. If you are 84 years old today, all of that, and a lot more, I don't have time to give you everything, has happened. So give grandma and grandpa a break when they don't know how to send you a selfie, okay? They've had to deal with a lot. A lot has changed for them. Because 84 years ago, you could talk on the telephone. When I was young, which was not that long ago, it was a telephone that had a cord on it. Okay, you wanted to be mobile, get a longer cord. That's how it worked, right? You have that thing, you're like, I'm gonna go in my room with this cord going across the house, and you know, it get all messed up, and yeah, it was, that was technology, okay? I remember when caller ID came out, and you could see who was actually calling you at dinner time. Well, my mom would get so mad if you call at dinner time. Um, it was nothing like today, nothing like today. And as we've had more ways to communicate than we've ever had, and we can communicate with more people 
than we've ever been able to. And we have the ability to fact check statements in real time. So we should be able to debate and find truth faster than ever. That is not what's happened. Instead, we have a culture that struggles to make real friends, struggles to have meaningful relationships, struggles with anxiety, struggles with depression, struggles with identity, struggles with meaning, struggles with faith, struggles with hope, struggles with love. All these ways to communicate, and somehow, that's where we sit. There's more division, more anger, and maybe most of all, more fear. In the world, in our culture today, we have this meltdown, spiritual, cultural meltdown happening in the midst of the most communication we've ever had, the most information. You want to know something? You can maybe find it on the internet. You can find four or five things. One of them might be true, right? But you can find, there is so much information out there. It's crazy. And yet all of these things, most prominently, faith, hope, and love, those things that that drive us, the greatest of these being love, they're not doing well. They're not doing good, as they'd say in Tennessee. Not doing good. The culture has not just changed. We are in the final stage of a cultural, spiritual meltdown. At this point, I've given you some bad news. I want to give you some good news. I'm going to read you a few verses. Philippians 3, 1, first part of the verse. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. Hebrews 13, 8. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. None of this stuff, none of this stuff has thrown him for a loop. He knew that all this stuff was going to happen, okay? Revelation 21, 5. Then he who sat on the throne said, behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, right, for these words are true and faithful. You are going to be okay. Yeah, we may be in a cultural, spiritual meltdown, but if you follow Jesus Christ, you're going to be okay. You do not need to fear. The message today is not about fear. It's about hope in Jesus Christ, not the hopelessness of the culture. But we are the beacon. We are the light, salt and light. We are the one showing people the hope that we have in Jesus Christ, that faith, that hope, that love that drives people to the foot of the cross to be forgiven of their sins that drives people to the empty tomb to know that they'll rise again as Jesus Christ did. If you don't know that today, you're watching online, you're watching some later time. You're here this morning, you don't know Jesus, you don't follow him. You can do that and pull yourself right out of that cultural, spiritual meltdown. You don't have to live in that. The Holy Spirit was given to us, Christ's church, at Pentecost 2,000 years ago. And he's working in us and through us, stemming the tide of evil and destruction and spiritual cultural meltdown in the world. It has always been the Holy Spirit. It has always been the Holy Spirit. And he's always worked through the church to restrain the evil of the world. That's what you're doing. Sometimes I think, hey, I'm I'm ready to go home. I'm getting older. I am fat. It's difficult. You know, there's all this kind of stuff like heaven sounds really good. And yet... The Holy Spirit is working through us for the people out there who we're to love. And we need to do that. And he's going to do that until it's time for all of us who serve Jesus Christ to be taken. That time may be very soon, but until then, we have the Great Commission. The Great Commission does not say, do this until things start to get rough and there's a cultural, spiritual meltdown. It's not what it says. It's not what it says. So reason it's written on the wall outside is to remind you every time you walk in this place, 
what your job is. It's your job description, every one of you, that's a Christ follower. It's not change. It's not going to change for the rest of your life on this earth. We must have courage and joy and excitement for what God is doing, for who we are in him, and for what he will do with us and through us in his power. We can't sit here and bellyache about the culture. I have done that many times. Can you believe what they're doing, what they want to teach our kids, what they're blah, 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 blah. And then I'm just like, whoa, 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 what am I doing? Lost people are going to act like, yeah, lost people. That's pretty obvious, right? We don't bellyache about the culture. We infiltrate with the gospel. That's what we do. We've already won. God wins. We've already won. Read the back of the book. Some of our brothers and sisters have gone to be with God recently. Praise God. They're in glory with our King, Jesus. We're going to experience that too, but for now, we have to be faithful to the work that we've been called to do. God has a plan. For those of you who are like, I don't know if he knows what's going on. He's got a plan, a beautiful plan and a perfect plan. And it involves us doing our part. The truth is that being faithful and consistent and diligent to the Great Commission is our call. It's your call. If you're wondering, what does God have for me? There it is. We are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. Listen to 1 Peter 2, 9 through 12. If you want to grab a Bible, they're in front of you in these uh, seats. If you don't have one, take one of those home. That's our gift to you. You don't need to pay us anything for it. You know, just grab it and take it home. We want you to have the word of God in your home. It says this, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Praise God. Who were once, who once were not a people, but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts, which war against the soul, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may, by your good works, which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. The day of visitation is coming one way or the other. There's a sense in which the day of visitation is the day they hear the gospel and they reflect on the truth of the gospel by looking at how we're living and seeing whether it rings true. There's a sense of the day of visitation that God is coming back to judge. In both cases, we have a job to do. And that job is to follow him and to understand who we are. My much-loved brothers and sisters, we have some things to do. You are my brothers and sisters in Christ. I love you more than you know. But we've got some things to do. And it's going to take two things for us to do that. At least two. Let's talk about two things. One, the power and strength and authority and grace and forgiveness and mercy and long-suffering and joy and peace and love and faith and hope of God. That's the first one. It's a big one. The second one and the organization and relational bonds of his body, the church. Both. The first one, by the way, you have already. All that stuff I just read, number one there, you already have it. 
the power and strength and authority and grace and forgiveness and mercy and long-suffering and joy and peace and love and faith and hope of God, they're yours. You have them. They're your birthright. You were born again if you're a Christ follower. You went from spiritual death to spiritual life, and when you had that, you had all those things. All of those are yours. You may not feel like it all the time because you don't always live in it, but it's yours. It's yours. It's his gift to you. You've been born again of the Spirit of God. You have the Holy Spirit. We have his love, and his love is complete in us. We simply have to live in it. We just got to live in it. We have to believe it, that these things are true about us. And then here's the thing. Once you believe it, enjoy it. It's too easy to get worked up, guys. It's too easy to flip on the cable news. It's too easy to start going through your Twitter feed, and everybody's like, rah, 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 rah. Right? They're all yelling at each other and get kind of bogged down instead of just enjoying the fact that you have the grace of God in your life. The gifts that he's given you, enjoy it. Enjoy it. Philippians 4, 4 through 8, it says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I talked a couple weeks ago about uh, David Horstead who lost his wife recently. And the next day, two days later, whatever it was, he's in here, arms raised to the Lord, praising God, rejoicing in the Lord. When? When he feels good? No, always. That's hard to do. Easy to say. I can read it and be like, rejoice in the Lord always. And as long as I'm feeling good, it sounds good. It wouldn't be, in, you didn't have to tell us that if we're already feeling like rejoicing. That's that rejoice in the Lord always because we don't always feel like it. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Why does he repeat it? Because it's important. The Holy Spirit inspired this to be repeated. Let your gentleness be known to all men. So we're not supposed to be like the loudest ones on Facebook, being like, you son of a gun. I wish that's what y'all were typing. It'd be easier for me not to be like, oh my goodness. This is an elder? No, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. That's not. <laughs> Most of them don't know how to use Facebook. It's fine. Um, we're supposed to let our gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing. Let's stop there for a second. Be anxious for nothing. But what about, nope. But there's this, nope. Be anxious for nothing. That means that you should fear nothing and no one but God. You should fear nothing and no one but God. Your body's going to have some fear. Anxiety and fear, that's a, that's a body thing. Our bodies are, are designed by God to like know to move when a snake tries to bite you. Stuff like that, right? That kind of fear response. And over the years... As things have got, as in the last 84 years, I read you all that stuff. As things just get crazier and crazier, that response that should happen like when the lion chases is now happening when you're just sitting in a chair thinking about life. But you need not fear it. Be anxious for nothing. Listen to this, 2 Timothy 1, 7. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. So we can live in that. Your spirit, when you were made new, when you were born again, it's not a spirit of fear. Now, you might have a body of fear. Your body is still broken. The world is still broken. 
but you don't have a spirit of fear. So if you'll live to the spirit, you will not fear. You have nothing to fear. You should fear nothing and no one but God. Let's continue reading Philippians 4. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, come into the Lord in supplication and prayer. Let your requests be made known to God. Let him know. And you know what happens then? And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. We need a peaceful church. We need to be the ones who have peaceful minds, guarded in Christ Jesus. <sighs> right? Everybody. We just need to have the peace of God because it is an incredible witness to the world and they need it. While everyone is screaming and running around, whether literally or in their minds or on their social media or whatever, you are the people of God. By prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known to him. And when you do that, then just let the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding. In other words, you can't understand it and they can't understand why you're so peaceful. They're like, is that from the weed store? Is that how it's going on there? Because you're really peaceful and it feels like you shouldn't be. And you go, no, I don't understand it either. I just know I get it from God. Because I just let him know what I need and then I just sit back and I trust him. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guards my heart and my mind through Christ Jesus. It's hard to do. It's a discipline. We got to do it, brothers and sisters. If we want to be a witness in this world, I don't, know, I don't know a more powerful witness maybe right now than showing that we are not moved because the peace of God which surpasses all understanding is guarding our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, brothers and sisters, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, Whatever things are of good report. If there's any virtue and if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. You might want to take stock of what you're meditating on. What does your day look like? How much are you thinking about God? How much are you thinking about the Spirit of God? How much are you thinking about the joy that you have in the Lord? How much are you thinking about what God has called you to do? How much are you thinking about your brothers and sisters? How much are you thinking about His church? How much are you thinking about the glory that we have in heaven? How much are you thinking about all these things versus how much are you thinking about all the other stuff that's coming at you all day long from all these communication methods that we've built up? Because there's a lot of that. How much are you thinking about that? And how much are you meditating on these things? The true, the noble, the just, the pure, the lovely. Those things of good report. Not a lot of good report stuff going on in the news. But if there's any virtue, if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. I'm not talking about ignoring the world and living in some sort of a bubble. Like you don't know what's going on. That's the stuff that you have the peace of God for. But man, there's a lot of good. God is good. It's a lot of good we can be meditating on. You want your life to change? Follow those four verses. You got a real good start. You want to be living a different kind of life. You want to be living the kind of life that people go, whoa, what is going on with this person? Why is this woman so calm? Why is this man so peaceful? 
And you go, Jesus. And then they got a choice to make. Keep doing what they're doing or try Jesus. It's an evangelical move to be peaceful. So you have all these gifts of God. They're not like, oh, they're yours for the taking. You just got to take them. Nope, they're already yours. They're just yours. They're yours for the realizing. Just realize that you have these gifts that God's given you that you need to fulfill the Great Commission. And the second thing we all need to fulfill is our calling, our mission. Jesus Christ's command to us in his Great Commission. And you know what you need for that? The second thing, the organization and relational bonds of his body, the church. It's probably hard because you're like, when I think about God, I know he's perfect and good and just, and I can trust his will. When I think about the church, there's a bunch of people there. I don't have any of that that I can feel for them. Agreed. That right? Like we're all sinners, saved by grace and faith. It's an amazing thing that God's done for us, but yet he's told us, that this is, how it's, this is how it works. The organization and relational bonds of his body of the church are the way that we work as Christ followers. You have to do it. The God stuff you get and have to realize it and live in it. The church thing, you have to do it. You have to do it. There is no Christianity that is described as just me and the Holy Spirit and a Bible and a hike in the mountains. That's not Christianity. That's not Christ following. That's not, okay? That attitude, which plenty of people seem to have, is totally nonsense biblically. Does not exist. You will not find that in the scriptures. I don't need the church. It's just me, and the Holy Spirit teaches me, and I just kind of do my thing, try to do what's good. That's not Christianity. If you've come to believe that, you're wrong. And sometimes that's what I have to do up here, is tell us when we're wrong. I often tell myself when I'm wrong, which is all the time. More than just the fact that it's incorrect, it's obstinate and immature. It shows a profound lack of understanding about what the church is and what Christ is doing. What God is doing through the body of Jesus Christ. You don't want to be a part of it. You don't understand it. You don't understand it. Some people aren't engaging relationally, organizationally and relationally in the church because they've been hurt. And I can tell you this, my heart breaks for those who have been hurt by the church. And there's no question, people have been hurt by the church. But the time has come to return to your home and take your place. Hurt or not hurt. That's what forgiveness and forbearance is about. The time has come to man your post. This is a serious time. The time has come to man your post to use your gifts because the adventure is on and the harvest is ready and the workers are few. But we're the workers and we got to do the job. We've been studying in the scriptures in the letter of the Romans for a number of weeks now. We're going to continue that study today. So if you'll grab a Bible, um, let's get into uh, chapter 1 and verse 9, which is where we left off last time. We're going to get through like three chapters. No, we're not going to get through three chapters. You know we're getting through a few verses. You know how this goes. I mean, that was the introduction, okay? So we're 26 minutes in. So here we go. Verse 9. 
For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit. You might want to circle that. I serve with my spirit. In the gospel of his son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers. Now, later in the book of Romans, Lord willing, if we get to that, before the Lord comes back, which we may or may not, um, we're going to hear a lot about where the the Holy Spirit is teaching us, revealing to us things about the flesh versus the spirit, right? This flesh, that the sin nature that God has, has made us new, Spiritually, but we're still dealing with the flesh, and we're gonna and, and we, he teaches us about that. Paul is here telling us that he serves God with his spirit. That means he is not walking according to the flesh. He's not concerned with the things of the flesh, but with the things of the spirit. Because part of the grace that God has given us is that God made us alive in the spirit, so that we don't have to walk in the flesh or do the deeds of the flesh. That's not our birthright. Our birthright is that we get to live in the spirit. Now, when I'm talking about walking in the flesh, I'm not talking about, uh, you know, your body in the sense like eating and drinking and playing and having fun and having a full and enjoyable life versus living in the spirit, which is like meditating and wearing Birkenstocks and tie-dye and puka shells and trying to be spiritual in some Northwesty nonsense kind of way. I'm not, those are not the two things that you have. And by the way, I'm not against Birkenstocks and puka shells. If you have my high school yearbook, you would know that. Used to do that whole thing. Looked amazing. Not because of that stuff. I just didn't weigh as much as I do now. Um, when we talk about the flesh in this sense, we're talking about serving the body, sowing to the body. And it's lust rather than focusing on the blessing and joy that God has for us. All the good stuff we still do because in the spirit, we discipline the body to do those things that are of the spirit. And then we get to enjoy rather than just sowing to the body and being only concerned with what makes us feel good right now than what has eternal importance. We do a lot of stuff. It's all about feeling good right now. We just, we've built all that technology I read off. A lot of that has to do with the fact that right now, today, right here, I can get anything I want. When I was young, you had two choices if you wanted to see a movie that came out years and years ago. You could wait for it to come back through the theater, which they would do. Like the same movies that were out however long, some like the Disney movies, they'd come through like every seven years. Or... You could get it if it came on television on one of those three channels that you had. That was it. Now I can sit on my couch and literally, I can talk to my thing. I'm just like, show me Star Wars. And it's like, here's 800 terrible Star Wars, like, you know, movies or whatever. Sorry, Colt. They're not all good. Um, but you can say whatever, and it's all there, and it's not just there. It's like, boom, right now. Worst case scenario, I got to pay $3.99 to watch the thing. Crazy. We love getting what we want right now. Now, I'm not saying that watching Star Wars is so into the flesh. Maybe the prequels, I would say. That's a possibility. <laughs> kidding. I'm kidding. Now, some of you love those. We'll fix you. Um, but in any case, uh, what I'm saying is we're so used to that instant gratification. The flesh is all about instant gratification. What do you think the internet porn is such a huge problem? To the point where now there are men, apparently, who would rather engage 
that way than take a real woman out on a date. Because this one takes time and costs money and isn't all about me and my flesh and my personal pleasure. So they just do the one thing and then go back to playing video games. It's where we are. That's sowing to the flesh, if you're wondering. There's a lot of other examples of that. We got to do the things that have eternal importance. When we sow to the Spirit, we're focused on the joy of the Lord and the everlasting joy that comes with honoring Him with our lives. Listen to this, Galatians 6, 7 through 10. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to his flesh will reap of the flesh corruption, death. That's what comes of sowing to the flesh. But he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. And let us not grow weary while doing good. For in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. Paul's telling us in verse 9 that he's always praying for the Roman Christ followers because he serves God with his spirit. If we're serving God with our spirit, I think we would be doing the same. Praying for other Christ followers. Paul remembers them. He thinks about them. He had a lot of people to think about. He knew a lot of people. He planted a lot of churches. He went all over the world that existed at that time. And he cares about them. And he's faithful and consistent in praying for them and is willing to have God be his witness that he does so. That's living in the spirit. That's serving God with our spirit. Thinking about others, especially those of the household of faith. We need each other. And we need to be praying for each other because prayer is powerful. I have been, in the last days, very broken for our brothers and sisters in the churches in Ukraine. I have prayed for them because they are facing so much difficulty. And my brothers and sisters from Ukraine who live here in the United States with us are suffering as their families are back home in the Ukraine. I talked to, texted with my friend Andre. Actually, he's the one who sold us this screen here and helped put it in. Uh, American citizen, but originally from Ukraine. He has a cousin that had to leave, leave Kiev and go 30 miles away to her parents' house because of all the war that's going on. And she is pregnant and do any time. Can't get to the hospital. It's going to have to have that baby most likely inside her parents' house in the middle of a war zone. That's what people are facing. And it's easy because I'm going to, after this, go back out to my comfortable vehicle and drive home to my comfortable house, and there's probably not going to be any bombs falling. And these people are dealing with this, and we need to have our hearts on them. Paul's thinking about the Romans who are going through persecution like many of the churches are going through at that time. We've got to be thinking about our brothers and sisters in Christ all over the world who are suffering. It's not about getting involved in the politics of it all. It's about human beings who are suffering and who our hearts should be for and who we should be thinking about. Let's pray now. Father, I pray that you'd be with our brothers and sisters in the Ukraine. Those that are suffering those that are afraid. Lord, I pray you'd be with Andre's cousin and help that birth to go well, that life might come out of all this death and destruction and anger and war. 
Lord, I pray for the Russian soldiers who are believers, some of them almost certainly are, who are following their country and what they're called to do, and the Ukrainian soldiers who are Christ followers, who are following their country, and the world is so broken that they may be shooting at each other right now. God, I just pray that you would come back and set things right and make all things new. Lord, be with the believers, those in the household of faith, and with everyone else, the refugees who are streaming out, leaving everything they have. One moment they live in a nice European country with a lot of natural resources. The next moment they're crossing a border with nothing. Men forced to stay back to grab a gun. They don't know how to fight. They're not soldiers to protect their neighborhoods and their homes. Others sent far from their homes to another country for reasons they don't know or understand. God, but you are good. Your love and your mercy endure forever. Your faithfulness is to all generations, and I pray you'd show your faithfulness to the Christ followers there. And draw people to yourself through this. In your name, amen. We have to pray. We have to pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ because we love them because we're members of one another in Christ. The church, for 2,000 years, you are connected to every one of these people. You're connected to Paul, you're connected to Peter, but you're also connected to Yuri in the Ukraine, or Ivan in Russia, right? Or Jose in Mexico, or Julio in Honduras. These are your brothers and sisters. That's who these people are. You're going to live with them forever. You should be praying for them now. Serving God in our spirits by praying, not becoming too tired or distracted to remember each other. Jesus took the disciples with him on the night that he was betrayed. But he goes to the Garden of Gethsemane. This is after he's done the first communion with them, which we'll, Lord willing, be doing here in a few moments together to remember him. But as he's going, I mean, and he is suffering because he knows what's about to happen. And he's told them what's about to happen. But they're not really believing it or understanding it. And so he takes them and he says, hey, hang out here and wait for me while I go pray. Right? Let's see what happens. Matthew 26, 31 through, 37 through 41. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, and he began to, to be sorrowful and deeply distressed. They can see that the Lord is sorrowful and deeply distressed. Then he said to them, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. So he tells them, stay here and watch with me. Not much to ask. Not much to ask. He went a little farther and fell on his face and prayed, saying, oh, my father, if it is possible that this cup pass from me, nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Then he came to the disciples and found them sleeping and said to Peter, what? Could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. It's hard to pray. I can tell you this for myself. It's hard to remember to pray. It's hard to faithfully pray because it's too easy to be distracted or tired or whatever else it is. But there are other brothers and sisters who are sorrowful even to death persecuted believers in the Middle East, in China, in different places, brothers and sisters in Christ in North Korea who are in prison, people all over the world who need our prayers. We need to be faithful in prayer, as Paul was in prayer. 
God tells us to pray, and we should pray for each other. James 5.16, confess your trespasses one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Got to be praying, guys. We have a prayer group on the app. If you know how to use the app, you can go on there. There's a thing right there for prayers. Put your prayer requests out there. When people put their prayer requests out there, pray for them. Just take a minute and do it. We have cards in the chairs in front of you where you can write your prayer requests and drop them on your way out, and we will pray for you. You can email us at info at actschurchnw, like Northwest, nw.org, and we will pray for you. We have a prayer room for you to go back every service at the end of service and go and be prayed for after our service. Paul is praying because that's what we do as Christ followers. He's praying for the Roman Christ followers, and we need to pray for each other. Put reminders in your calendar. Those of you who use a paper calendar or those of you who use the calendar on these things, put reminders in there to pray for people. Take a few seconds right now. Write down three names that God is calling you, people to pray for. I'm just going to stand here for a minute. And if you can grab a pen and just say, Tom, Dick, and Harry, whoever it is, right? Write them down and remember to pray for them this week. Take a second and do that. Write three names down. doesn't do us much good to just read the scripture, study the word of God if we're not going to take action, right? If we're learning something from the Holy Spirit here through Paul, that this is what we're supposed to do, it's a good idea for us to do it. That's why I want you to write people's names down. Romans 1.10, next verse. We've got to start ripping here. You know we won't, but we've got to. Make your request if by some means now at last I may find a way in the will of God to come to you. Man, I could do sermons on just this verse. I won't, but I could do sermons on just this verse. Paul wants to see the Roman Christians. He wants to be able to see them when it is God's will that he sees them. That modifier, when it's God's will, is so important. Just because Paul wants to see them doesn't mean that he can go see them if he's submitted to the will of God. It's a really hard thing when we pray. We pray for what we want. I hope you're praying for what you want, assuming you want things that are in God's will. But we have to wait for God. We have to be able to patiently wait for God to tell us that our request is also God's will. I am not always good at this because I don't know if you know this, but I can be impatient. Very impatient sometimes. I sometimes want to do something. It can even be a really good thing. And seem like it's the right thing to do. But I have to wait for God to clear it. Wait for God to say, it's time. Yes, I agree. This is what I want you to do. And it's time to do it. I waited almost two years between getting a call to leave the full-time practice of law and knowing what God's call was to come here. It took a long time. I was, I was not wanting to wait that long and keep doing what I was doing because I knew that God had something new for me, but I had to wait for his will. And let me tell you, that was not the normal pattern of my life up to that time, waiting for his will. Be like, this is a good thing, so I should just do it. That's not what Paul says. 
It's an important lesson through Paul's life. He wants to go to Rome. He's been wanting to go to Rome, but it has not been God's will yet. So he hasn't done it. I am so used to doing what I want to do when I want. I grew up in the United States of America. We pretty much do what we want to do when we want. But that is not the way for a sold-out follower of Christ. Jesus Christ didn't live that way. The Son submitted to the Father. The Christ follower submits to Christ. What's the will of God? That's the way we're supposed to live. You may want something. It may be a good thing. In general, normally, it would seem like something you could do. But whether it is something you should do or ought to do, and when you ought to do it, are up to the will of God because you're his. It rocks our world. I mean, it does because we're so used to like, I want to do it, so I'll be doing that. And God's like, nope, you belong to me. I'm the one who knows what's good for you. He's the king where to do his will. Scriptures make this clear. Listen to 1 Corinthians. They're talking about sexual morality and, and the issues of that. And they come into this in, in, in 1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20. It says, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? For you were bought at a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. We are not our own. We don't belong to ourselves. Bodies, spirit, body, soul, spirit, they're his. Why? Because he's the one who loves us more than we could possibly understand. We belong to God. We belong to Jesus Christ who bought us with a price, with his death on the cross, and has given us hope of salvation and resurrection because he rose again. Because of that, we follow his will. We may not like that. In fact, I don't know many people who do like it until they've lived it and seen how good it is. Our lives are God's, and if we trust him, he will lead us in truth and in our best interest. Because he knows what's our best interest. First of all, he knows the future. Second of all, he created you. He knows what's best for you. You want to do this thing, you want to do that thing. Often they aren't good things. And you're like, well, he doesn't really get it. The Bible, you know, it was written a long time ago. He doesn't really get it. He gets it. He gets it. He's our creator and he's our father and he loves us. Proverbs 3, 5 through 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. You are not smarter than him. Your will is not better than his. In all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. Trust God's will for you as Paul trusts God's will. Here, if you want something, ask God. Wait on his answer. I promise, I promise you his answers are the best thing for your life. I've done it both ways, and only the way where I wait for his will works perfectly. The other way, he may work out for you eventually, but he's got to like, uh, uh, work it out because he's like, oh my goodness, David, not again. How many times do I have to tell you? I'm like, but it seemed like, a, mm, right? But when, it, when I wait on his will, it's like, now look, you thought this, and it's 10 times, 20 times, 1,000 times better than what you thought it was going to be because you waited on my will. All right, we got to get through the last verses for today. Here we go. 11 through 13. My eyes are getting bad. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gifts so that you may be established. That is, that I may be encouraged together with you by the mutual faith, both of you and me. Now, I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that I often planned to come to you, but was hindered until now that I might have some fruit among you also, just as among the other Gentiles. 
Paul really wants to be with, physically with, the Christ followers in Rome. He wants to have fruit in the body of Christ there with them. He wants to love them. He wants the heavenly rewards that come with being fruitful in ministry. You can read in 1 Corinthians 3 if you want to read about how all that works. Pretty amazing stuff. If you have a pen, I recommend you go to verse 12 here and circle the words encouraged together. If you're reading a different translation, it may say mutually encouraged. It may say comforted together or something similar. Circle that because this is really, really cool. Okay? This is such an awesome revelation from the Holy Spirit, from the Lord here in Scripture. The Greek word used here is sumparakaleo. Okay? Obviously, you knew that, but I'm just saying that. Sumparakaleo. This is the only place in the New Testament where this word is used. This is the one place. And it is from two roots. The first one is soon, which according to Strong's definitions is a primary preposition denoting union with or together. So together, union, okay? And then parakaleo, which means to comfort, to encourage, to exhort, to beseech. All that. There's a lot that's there in that, in that parakaleo, parakaleo word, okay? So together, we're encouraging, comforting, exhorting, and beseeching. That's what Paul wants. That's what church is. He wants to be with them to sumpatakaleo, be together, comforting, exhorting, encouraging, beseeching, all of that happening. It's an amazing thing. And you know, the only place that I know of on earth where that happens is in Christ's church, where that word could be applied effectively is in Christ's church. With the power of the Holy Spirit, when we gather as the body of Christ, we comfort and encourage and exhort and beseech one another together. I've thought about this a, a, bit, a decent bit lately. Here's the deal. You can go and listen to worship music, really good worship music, online without coming here. You can go and listen to really good preaching of the Word of God online without coming here from tons of men that preach the Word, from Tons of churches that put out worship music. So what are we doing here? Sumpatakaleo. That's what we're doing. We're gathering each Sunday to Sumpatakaleo together, together in union, encouraging, comforting, exhorting, beseeching. When you're struggling, you need comfort. You get comfort by coming together. It's the way God designed it. It's what Paul is, that's what he's desiring to be with the church. You're struggling, you need to be uplifted. Just coming into this room. If you have had a tough week and you walk into a room full of Christ followers, you should instantly feel some comfort. Oh, here they are. The other ones fighting the battle. The other soldiers in the shield wall. It should comfort you. And you know what? A lot of weeks, you shouldn't be the one needing comfort, but the one giving it. So that when that person does walk in here who urgently needs comfort, they see you and are comforted together. It's not just for you. It's for them. Sometimes it's for you. Sometimes it's for them. Now, beseeching and exhorting, those are more difficult concepts. I looked up these in Noah Webster's American Dictionary of the English Language from 1828. I like that one better. And it's online. You know, he didn't put it online. He's dead a long time ago. But it's online. Beseech. 
to entreat, to supplicate, to implore, to ask or pray with urgency, followed by a person as, and this is the way they did the dictionary back then, as I, Paul, beseech you by the meekness of Christ, 2 Corinthians 10.1. That's in the dictionary. Or by a thing, I beseech your patience. You're asking with urgency. Do you know what you're asking for when we gather on a Sunday morning? You're asking for each other's growth in Christ. You know that? There is an accountability that happens just by showing up and and seeing one another. We are literally beseeching with our bodies being here in the church, in the Holy Spirit. We're beseeching each other to grow in Christ. When you come together, the idea is, I'm going to grow. If you'll grow, we'll grow. You'll grow. We're going to grow. Let's grow. There's a beseeching that's going on together. Sumpatakaleo, together beseeching, together comforting, together exhorting. Let's read about that. To encourage, to embolden, to cheer, to advise. The primary sense seems to be to excite or give strength, spirit, or courage. How are you strengthened to face the weak? With your brothers and sisters in Christ, seeing them hugging them, speaking to them, worshiping with them, studying the scripture with them. That's what it's about. That's what it's about. To incite by words or advice, to animate or urge, by arguments. Love that part. To a good deed or to any laudable contact or course of action. I exhort you to be of good cheer. Acts 27, 22, also in the dictionary. Young men also exhort to be sober-minded, exhort service to be obedient to their masters, Titus 2.6, to advise, to warn, to caution, to incite, to stimulate, to exertion. To stimulate, to exertion. I want you to work. I'm going to stimulate you. You know who the main exhorter is here who's called to that role? It's me. I love it because I love exhorting myself, and I love exhorting you, and sometimes I breathe hard when I do it. Because I'm excited about Jesus. And we come here together to be excited together. I put out that uh, survey and I was like, how would you feel about mostly seeing preached on a screen? And most, some of you were like, it's cool. I don't need to see that guy live anyway. But a lot of you are like, you know, I struggle with that. I think the reason, Sumpatakaleo. I think that's the reason. We want to be here physically in the same room together doing our thing, you know. If screens happen to be something that comes in the future, because that's the way it has to be, we're still going to be here together. But we probably won't be doing that if we can possibly avoid it, because there's something about being together and being exhorted together. The union of the church. We're beseeching and exhorting. This is my calling as a preacher of the gospel, to exhort and to beseech us all to grow together in Christ. We do it together, and we gather physically together to do this. This is what Paul wants. See, we could say, well, no, he just wants to give them some exhortation. This is. This letter that you're reading is exhortation from Paul to them. He can send them that in a letter. Why is he saying, I long to be there to sumpatakaleo, do what I'm already doing here, but physically with you. Because there is something about the church being together, gathering together, assembling together. This is the organization and relational bonds of his body, the church. Encouragement, comfort, exhortation, beseeching. They all happen when we physically gather together to meet, to worship God and study the scripture. I'm so glad we have the opportunity for online services. I really am. 
I think that using technology in that way is wonderful because there are people who cannot physically be here. There are reasons why they can't. Either they're on vacation. My wife is in Florida with Lindsay, Kiros, and Kaylee Murdoch um, doing a mission trip. They literally were on Space Mountain this morning. That's what was going on. Okay. But they are watching. Hey, love you, honey. Um, but she wants to be able to still be part of it when she's out of town. There are people who are sick. There are people for different reasons who cannot be here. And for that, I'm glad that the online is there. For people, we've had people who have started by just checking us out online because they're not sure about that. I love it for all that. But let me just tell you something. It is not the way to be part of the body of Christ as a normative function of Christianity. And all I mean by that sentence is it's not the normal way to do things. It's not the biblical way to do things long-term. If you have to, then fine. And we have people who have to. And you know what they think? They think it's crazy when people who don't have to go online and do it because they want to be here. And by the way, those people who can't be here, we should be going to them, visiting the widows, visiting those who are unable physically for whatever reason to be here. We should be bringing Sumpata Kaleo to them. But for the rest of us, we're to be here. We're to be here. The sympathetic happens in the gathering, the physical gathering of the body, the encouragement, comfort, beseeching, right, exhortation, together. Very cool stuff. It's not something that we choose each week whether we're going to do or not. The choice was made when you got saved and baptized. You are part of his church. You are called to gather. I beseech you and I exhort you and encourage you to gather together with the church where God has called you. You know, a lot of single people get online and look for somebody to have a relationship with. And they meet that person online. And it's like, hi, how are you? It's like, I'm probably a fake person. But when it's not that, it's a real person, right? I was, could you send me money? Uh, anyway, when you meet a real person online and you like that person, you don't think to yourself, I hope I can stay online forever with this person. You want to meet them. You want to be together with them. You want to spend time with them. You want to gather with them. Online is not the fullness of sumparakaleo. It's not sufficient. It's not an alternative to physically gathering together where the full togetherness happens. I was talking to a good friend of mine a couple weeks ago. I'll just tell you. It's Will Roach. He's my law partner. I'm just going to out him right now. And he's telling me, he struggles. By the way, we're going to go a little over today. If you guys need to go, you have an appointment or whatever, go ahead. There were way more people who said they wanted longer sermons and shorter ones. So I'm just telling you, I'm going to finish, okay? Um, this is important stuff. And I know it's 1127. We're still taking communion and all that. So it may be, we may be 10 or 15 minutes late. Will's telling me, hey, you know, I'm going to be honest. It's hard for me now that services are online. He's a faithful Christ follower, teaches in a life group, loves Jesus serious about the church, but even he is struggling. It's like, man, I can get up, I can get a nice cup of coffee, I can sit on the couch and I can just watch the thing happen. And I have to get in the car and I have to go there. And to, he said, that's a real, now, he, now he's going to church, but it's a real temptation for him. It's a real temptation for any of us. I read an article, I think yesterday, the day before, they call it pancake church. You can have church and eat pancakes. Look, just forget the church thing for a second. Pancakes have way too many carbs, okay? <laughs> it's not good for you. It's not good for you. They are delicious, though. A lot of butter and syrup, you know what I'm saying? 
Peanut butter, maybe? Anybody? Amen? Okay. Yeah. Let's just talk about that for a minute. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Pancake church is not church. This is church. You are church. Sumpata Kaleo, gathering together to encourage, to exhort. Right? To beseech, to comfort. Together. That's what it's about. It's become too easy to avoid it. And we've gone through some crazy stuff that has made it hard. I'm doing some thinking and reflecting about how much church we did miss over the pandemic issues, even weather issues. Like I'm really struggling to be like, how do we make sure that we don't miss the physical gathering in the future? So I bought a snow uh, machine. It's going to be, no, I'm kidding. We can't, I can't clear all the roads for you. Um, But we're going to do our best to make sure we're always gathering because I miss you and I want to see you. And we show our separateness from the world by being faithful to this. Hugging, studying the scripture and the word of God together. He's calling people. He's calling people. We got to be here for them. It doesn't do us any good if they come in and we decided to just have pancake church that morning. And we're not here to meet them and to greet them and to love them and to serve them and to hug them and to comfort them and to encourage them and to exhort them and to beseech them. Can't do that from your house. We need to understand it's time to put on the gas, not to slow down. Hebrews 10, 24 through 25. This is the last scripture I'll read. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some. It was going on back then, and they didn't even have online church. Not not that I know of. I don't think they had the internet back then. But what? It says, but exhorting patakaleo, one another. There it is. Exhorting together. Not, Not forsaking the assembling together, as is the manner of some, but patakaleo. And... So much more as you see the day approaching. But what? Comfort, encouragement, beseeching, exhortation, and so much more as you see the day approaching. What day? The day that's coming soon. We are way closer to that day than they were 2,000 years ago. That day is coming, and so much the more we're supposed to be together. Sum, patakaleo, together. Exhorting, encouraging, comforting, beseeching. All of that that's happening, it, it's, it's a spiritual reality that's happening when the Holy Spirit is here with us and we're pushing each other forward as Christ is pulling his church, strong like an army with banners, to the end of the age and hoping that we bring as many people as possible with us into the arms of God. 94% of those who did that recent survey, and we had 96 people do it, said that faithfully attending in person, unless a person was sick or out of town, was what it meant to be called by God to be a part of the body of Christ. I was so happy and blessed to see that because that's correct, biblically accurate, okay? It was awesome. But in 2022, our average Sunday has only had 65% of our regular attenders gathering in any given week. Now, some of y'all are sick. Daniel's at home throwing up. Gross. I, you know, sorry. I don't have pictures of it or anything. It's just what's going on. I get it, right? But we're missing 35% of our people on the average week. And when I say our people, I mean the people who regularly attend. That's the people I'm talking about here. 
I'm not talking about people who come from time to time. I'm talking about regular attenders. Only 65% of them can be expected to be here on any given week in 2022. I would love to get that number to 80% or higher. 80% would mean one in five of us is sick or on vacation, which is a lot, to be honest with you. But let's go for it. Let's get those Sumpata Kaleo numbers up, okay? Some of you have struggled during COVID. I get it. It's been hard. But it is, we are working to more and more and more make this time together a time that comforts and encourages you, that beseeches and exhorts you, that grows you, that makes you more like Jesus.